Okay, folks, and welcome to episode three of the Dad Bought Bible Real Men Talk, where I talk to real men about real shit. So this one, this episode is a good friend of mine, Sean McCarty. I've known Sean for oh, about 13 years. It's about 13 years now, Sean, isn't it? It's time Would be about that. Time goes in fast, doesn't it? Feel like uh, a shit marriage. <laughs> <laughs> We've been through a lot together still, and uh, I find Sean very interesting to talk to. He's got a... He's, even though he doesn't look at it, he's very educated and he's got a good opinion on a lot of things. So, Sean, introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? What about you? So, I'm Sean McGarity. Uh, what do you do? Fuck. 90% of the time, I don't know really what the fuck I'm doing, Paul. I think, I think 90% of the time, I just fucking wing it. Thank you, Being honest. I'm glad you called me educated, though. I, I don't really see myself as that fucking educated, although I do uh, try my best. Like, I would actually say, in all fairness, Sean, you you are pretty educated. You know, you don't look at you, <laughs> but you are. You, you know, when I uh, when I first got to know you properly, it was probably when I joined the mastermind. You know, we got really into knowing you then. Um, I was surprised at your your ability to retain information, and you know, on, on different topics, any topic we've talked about, we like to go down the rabbit hole and conspiracy theory shit. No, we're not doing it today, but we like to we like to do things like that, and your ability to you know to repeat the things you've heard and just hold on to that information. It always staggered me. I was like, how the hell does he remember that and articulates it so well? Uh, I've had a couple of conversations out, out your back about the, about different things, but you've always managed to make me go, whoa, I don't know how you remember that. So yeah, I would call you educated. It's the last compliment you ever get from me. Yeah, yeah funny you say, I, I do have a weird memory for, for weird things as well. Like my brain, the brain is like the best supercomputer in the fucking world. But whenever you want it, you don't get the name of that actor that's in that fucking movie. It just goes, nope, fuck me. <laughs> so like, yeah, I have one of the brains where I can, as going back to the motor trade, you seventeen-digit chassis numbers. Like, there is no fucking purpose or use to remember those. But like, those used to stick in my head. So shit does just weirdly. Some people will call that a photographic memory or whatever. But yeah, I do have a, 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 just a, a weird brain. It works in fine. And I do have a knack of remembering sometimes the most useless of fucking information, unless you're having a conspiracy theory rabbit hole talk. <laughs> well, the other thing I know you love doing is sales. You are, you are literally the most, I've never met a man who is born to sell more than you. And uh, you've got an interesting past. I'll let you tell it. You started off in the, in the uh, car trade. So let's start there. What was it like? What, how did you get involved in that? Well, really, I, I grew up in that kind of business. My dad started the business, um, I think, when I was there. He was in it probably about 40 or 50 years. <clears throat> so I was kind of leading the party. I always felt growing up like, do you know when you come into the living room and there's a movie that's already on, you've missed the whole fucking start of it, and you're trying to piece together what the hell's going on? That was kind of me. So like, I grew up in the motor trade, and literally from the age you could hold the hose, like, I was brought in there on summer holidays, you know, like Easter holidays, you know, whatever holiday, when all kids were out playing, like, I was just sent down to the garage. It's like, get Sean down to the guys and give him something to do. So I, I started washing cars, then went into the parts department, went into the service department for a brief four-hour period where they were like, that cub is fucking useless, get him out of here. <laughs> like, when you break as much shit as I have trying to fix it, you just give up. So they're like, get him out of here, that's not the area for him. And through time and through years, like I, I grew into into this the sales end of it, and you know, computers was becoming a big thing in the motor trade around then. Like I, I'm going back to before there was email and stuff. Like I mean, all this stuff was just brand new, and systems and all that kind of stuff uh, was was my area. And then when I was about seventeen, um, I started selling cars, <clears throat> and um, yeah, at the end of a summer. I'd sold so many cars that summer. I ended up buying a house at 18. My birthday was in August, and I bought my first house. I'll never forget the address. It was Northampton, 84 Junction Road, Northampton. And um, it was because I was going to university that year, and I, I, bought, my, I bought a house over there. And it was £61,000. That's how much the fucking house was. But, yeah, and then, and then I got into that. And the whole thing of it, it sales, to me, is kind of like solving a wee puzzle. Do you know, and if you're into that, it, it's more about getting the outcome, getting it done, the money itself. So it, it wasn't really ever the money that motivated me. It was the, 
It was the fact that sales was always kind of like a wee intricate puzzle. And when I solved it, there was just such a, it was such a cool feeling to get that yes at the end. It was like, yes, I did that right, you know? So then I suppose it, I went from different various positions until I was managing, you know, the car dealership because I was quite good at playing the motor trade game because, you know, this was Honda and Seat and Kia that I was brought up in and I was t- trained by the best salespeople that those companies could afford to put in front of us to train us. Um, and to give you an idea, I mean, like my company done 25 million a year in sales. O- over a nine year period, the sales teams that I managed, we were responsible for a quarter billion in sales. And um, yeah, so like I've sold a fair few things from 17 <laughs> up to 28. Biggest sale I've ever been involved in in my life was for 4.5 million. And it took about a year and a half to go through. Um, and what we learned, it was uh, there, there's a guy, some people might know, the, the Kentucky Fried Chicken on the Boucher Road. Mm-hmm. That used to be a Honda dealership. We sold that to a guy called Michael Herbert, who's the leading Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, franchisor and a very big property moment. We sold it to that guy. And he was very interested in the, in the way the deal was set up itself because it was, it was attracting ta- tax in a very efficient way. And that's why he wanted to do the deal. It wasn't really the property. I mean, the dude would buy quarter billion properties for fun. You know, this was a very small deal in him, but it was the intricacies of the deal. And being involved in that and seeing that, that kind of a sale at a property level of that, where you're dealing with a really high level investor. And, you know, we had a, a team of people involved in that deal, tuning solicitors and accountants and like going into the boardroom and having meetings with that dude and being present and listening to the kind of talk going on at that level. It's something I, I become very, very used to because that's just the kind of stuff that we did. Looking back now, I mean, I suppose what I saw is just average day stuff wasn't really that normal, which I suppose then the condition that I've been brought up with and seen is just very normal and like blase, like everybody can do this. What I realized was like, no, that's actually a very specific skill and not a lot of people had that. For me, it was fucking alien you know, the people that would look at me and go, what the fuck are you doing? I was just like, what? Everybody around me did that. <laughs> you know, it wasn't anything special, I suppose, until you took out what you learn in that environment and you put it into an environment where no one has saw that before, like personal training, for instance. Yeah. And then, like, what you're doing is you're looking at what everyone else has seen, but you're thinking what no one else has thought. So, like, for me, I walked into a gym and I was just like, what the fuck? Look at this. Look how busy this place is. And for me, this uh, what's the saying you say um something eyes there's something there's a quote you say always say to me you can't sell something through something eyes i can't remember what's the quote you always say to me you understand why john smith buys what john smith buys you must see the world through john smith's eyes it, like that's a real marketing phrase it's like you've, it's kind of like the foot leather thing it's like unless you understand and can empathize with the client that you're about to sell you cannot explain the problem the possibility and the path towards whatever it is that he wishes or his goals or his, you know, his, his admirations or his ambitions. If you don't understand that, you don't understand his problems and his frustrations and his, his worries and his pain. I mean, you can't bridge that gap. Therefore, you cannot find the problem because problems have solutions. Solutions have products and products have sales. So you've got to understand that whole thing before you can try and, before you've earned the right to pitch someone. I think for me, when it came to sales, I was, you know what I was like, I hated selling things to people. But there was the one conversation I had with you and it changed everything for me. And it was when you said to me, everything in life is a sale. Yeah. And I was like, right, because and then I said it to Gail the other day, I was like, Gail, you're trying to, Gail, because Gail's got a thing about not selling things. She doesn't like selling things. I was like, Gail, you're the essential oils. You're selling me on the essential oils now. That's that's what you're doing, you know, so you're not, you're not trying to, you've, you've got a, something that you really believe in and because you believe in it, you're trying to, you're trying to sell me on the benefits of it. It's like, you know, maybe, maybe be selling me a product or making me actually commit to something, but you're selling me on the actual idea of it. And it was new yes. telling that, I was like, ah, fuck that. That's just, so sales is a conversation. That's what sales is to me now. It's just having the conversation and coming up with a solution for people. <clears throat> Yeah, exactly. Again, it's it's like what you've just described there is exactly the same as what I felt. It's like solving that puzzle. It's like when you have all the pieces of that puzzle, you can begin to see the whole picture. And when you begin to see the whole picture, you can describe to the person, dude, here's the way I see it. 
listening to what you've said, here's where you are, here's where you want to be, but you've got this stuff in the middle. And I feel I can help with that. You know, if, if you want help with it, I mean, we, we, could, we could do this thing together. And, and I'm like, really, that's it. Now tell me, is, do you still feel that people see you as the stereotypical car salesman? Or have you have you taken the have you removed them shackles? Do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if I see myself as a as the typical stereotypical salesman anymore. You know, there's there were some great things about what I learned in the motor trade, but there were also some really bad things that when I took across, I noticed very quickly what was good and what was bad. I'll give you a for instance. Um, like you said, I, I'm good at selling, which is a strength on a week because a strength overstretched becomes a weakness. So if you're addicted to hearing the yes, it can become like a sickness that <laughs> you can begin to manipulate people or, or you, can, you know how you can get that yes. And you will get people to buy things that maybe they shouldn't really be buying, things that they don't really need, stretch their budget. You can do all sorts of things when you use it for the wrong purpose. And for me, sometimes I just love to hear that yes. And if I thought for a second that I, there's a possibility here, I would just fucking do it. And that's what we did in the motor trade because look, somebody buys a car, they're gone. You know, nine times out of 10, like they're gone. Now, of course, if you're selling a new car, they want them to come back for a service, but they're coming back to the service department. You, you know, you, of course, you'll go up and say, look, it's a fucking year away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But if you're selling personal training and you get the yes just because you can, <laughs> well, they turn up every day in your gym, don't they? Yeah. Or, or quite frequently. And if that is someone who drains the life out of you, I mean, that's going to get turned really, really quick. And I realized that, like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So, yeah, I can get this guy to say yes. I can arrange the pieces of the puzzle so he is reasonable and starts to see it my way. But maybe that's not the best idea because if he turns up in the gym all the time and he's a bollock or he's not the right kind of person for your business, then it's going to really draw out of you an awful lot of energy or, or the other coaches. Like This is the other thing. Sometimes me sitting in the phone selling people, I'd be like, I know this guy's going to be a bollock. Why am I going to give this to my team? Because the coaches on the floor are going to be like, this guy is a melt. He doesn't get, you know. So very quickly I've seen like, yeah, just because you can't doesn't mean you should, especially when you're in the service sector, which is what is different between, you know, a true SEALs and a service sector thing. If some, if you have to continually serve someone, then there's got to be mutual understanding and we've got to know, like, you know, what we'll expect from you and what they can expect from us so that we have that two-way street of coaching. Well, you tell know, me this. You've, you're ta you st we've started talking about car sales and now you're in the fitness industry. So there's a disconnect somewhere along the line. So how'd you go from a, a quarter of a billion sales to be to owning like probably the most successful PT training franchise in, in the country? Probably. probably I'd say you probably <laughs> are. <laughs> until I get until I get involved in it. <laughs> um, well, in, in my humble but correct opinion, I'd say we are the best. But it, it depends on how you depends on how you determine best. It's best for the right people. It would be shit for some other people. Do you know? I'd say, you're, I'd say you're producing the, the, the best PTs in the country. You know, the, the, the most accomplished per, personal trainers that come out of, the, out of your little ones that I would hire. In fact, I've, that got, would be a, I've got one of your, I've got one of your Belfast um, candidates sort of in my gym now. Really? Yeah. So well, that's, a good measure. that's a good measure of success. And, and uh, I suppose how we would measure success would be like the impact that we're having on people. Are we having an impact on people? And, is that, you know, like you said, there are we creating coaches who are certain in their ability to coach people to get results? So, but yeah, again, like how did they get there? Well, that sale, you know, that sale, the 4.5 4. <laughs> million sale. So we sold, we sold the property and then we rolled it into a, a massive um, other property development for 98 houses for the Department of Social Development back in 2006. Because, you know, that was a great time to get into property, as, as you know. Um, and uh, the deal took a couple of years to get going. We were building these 98 houses, which we'd actually sold to the Department of, of Social Development, the DSD. They, they had like said, yes, we will buy all these properties at this price. We were set to make a massive um, profit on this thing. Me and, and, and my brothers. My dad at the time, he was exiting the business. It's a whole other story uh, for another podcast. So we were motoring on, me and my two brothers. And basically what happened was there was a thing called the global financial crisis. <laughs> 
And um, yeah, by the way, this is a great topic because I know we're not going to talk about COVID, but a lot of people are currently in the position you were in back then, which is it's and they the let them see that you know where you are now does not have to be your future. It's 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 a good lesson for people to learn and they actually maybe inspire a few people to realize that life throws shit at you, but it doesn't have to dictate your designate your future. Sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. No, you're 100 right. Uh, and this is the thing like when when the chips fell, when the hand that we were dealt was out, it was there was nothing you could do. Like you could sit there and you could mope and you crab at it. Like, but basically what happened was a, we were going to sell this to the DSD for another four and a half million with a net profit of you know lots of money. <laughs> and everybody was gonna, you know, disappear and drink mojitos under a, you know, the usual shit. Yeah. It's like, whoa, what color is your Ferrari gonna be? All that shit, you know. As it turned out, um, I had nine months to get out of my fucking house, and uh, everything was taking me out to bank one point five million. So basically, it went from you know here to very quickly uh, move out of your house. You have no money to pay your mortgage. You the bank. It, it, it was disaster, and. Um, I'd only just recently uh, got pregnant with a girl and like I was sitting there looking at myself going, I feel there's a business person that's gone. You know, I went from Mr. Invincible to what the fuck are you going to do? Like, I mean, you don't even have, the, you can't even bless yourself here. You have the money to wipe your feet. Like you're fucked. How did that affect uh, your mindset? How did that affect your whole demeanor from being a guy who had everything to nothing? Did, you, did it bring it down or did it drive you forward? It, it, it was a massive drive. Like, it weirdly, I, I didn't take any time to sit and mope about it. It was just like, I'm going to figure this out. I, I, still with it, just the mindset that it was in at that period of time, I, I still felt like it was invincible and I would figure something out until I started looking at like, you know, prospects in the, in the motor trade and I was going, fuck, maybe this is a wee bit worse than I thought. And I had to like, <laughs> ask myself a question, which was, is the motor trade what Sean McGarity would have been doing? Had the opportunity, and I, look, the opportunity was fantastic. I, I had a massive opportunity handed to me on a plate. Now, that's not to say that I, I mean, like, fuck me. If I didn't produce the goods, I would have got fired just like anybody else. I wasn't in a position or handed it. I would never accept a fucking single cent that I'd never uh, earned myself. Uh, that's one thing, you know, which I learned from going to school in St. which is like, you know, I would never be that foregone conclusion of, sure, Daz, Minted, you're just going to be fine. Which made me say to myself, I am never ever going to accept a single cent that I haven't earned because I am not going to let those fuckers be right about me. I am better than that. I make my own way. So that is probably something that led me to go, well, I'm going to make, I will find my own way. I'm not going to be defined by the motor trade. There's something else. And my something else was fitness. Yeah. And it, it was a question that I asked myself. It was like, would I be happy doing this? for the rest of my life, even if it was for free, like, I mean, I'm, I kept coming back going, look, you've had money, was that? No, it wasn't, it wasn't that fucking great. Well, what do you want to fucking do? I, imagine going into the gym every day. I, I was playing this out in my mind and was going, that'd be fucking class. Like, imagine helping people with fitness the same way it's helped me. And like, you know, fitness has the benefits. I don't need one of the benefits. I mean, anybody listening, you will know the sort of stuff to talk about. It changes your mind. The most stubborn of minds will change. Your body perception will change. Your confidence will change. The way you carry yourself changes. That will change the relationship you have with yourself. You're, you know, you'll change the relationship you have with your wife, your kids. I mean, shit's just better when you're training. Like, and you don't have to be the dude with the sex pack. It's just like going and training and getting out of your comfort zone and accomplishing things. F funny thing about doing that is it fucking makes you feel better. Totally. So, yeah. And if the side effect is you look better too well that only just accumulates do you know so i was just like i would fucking love to do that with someone i'd love to have the ability to affect somebody in a positive way using fitness as a tool so i started to look it up and weirdly i came across a name that i knew from years before lois and um, lois who, who was running a place called leisure industry academy and i was like do you want to be a fucking personal generator i was like fuck yeah dude fuck it and i rang her up and she said you've got what are you thinking of getting into the fitness industry Sean, get in my fucking office right now. Because I'd known her for years, and it turns out that she was doing this, and she was like, Sean, do you not realize that the fitness industry is just sales? And I was like, what? She's like, this is just sales. I was like, no, it's not. And she was like, it is. And, then, <laughs> and I didn't believe her, but as soon as I went into the gym, that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, fuck. I was looking around at all these people. 
And all of these people, just like people in a car showroom, none of them are there for the good of their health. But in the gym, they're there for the good of their health. In the fucking, when they walk into short, there's no one. And we used to have to convince salespeople of this. It's like, people are not here to look around. No, but they are. It's like, no, 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 they're not. No one in the history of human them woke up on a Saturday morning and went, listen, honey, I know we fuck all the do. Maybe we should just go and look at some cars. <laughs> you'll go and see a movie. You'll go, you'll do fucking anything. You're in the dealership because you have maybe two or three possibles. You have a consideration set of two or three cars that you want to go and look at. And you're there. And the guy who makes you feel comfortable with saying yes is the car you leave with. That's it. And really what you realize is you're not buying a product. You're buying the person. You're buying the, the it's the sales dude that gets you over the line. Because people don't buy cars. They buy people. They buy the dude that they know they like and they get the trust. And in the gym, I realized, fuck, these people actually are here for the good of their health. That guy there has a goal. And nine times out of ten, 90% of people in gyms are not reaching their goals because they probably don't know enough about nutrition. They are struggling with something with your consistency. Maybe their training plans suck. There's something that's, you know, broken. They're buying the wrong car. What's that? They're buying the wrong car and you just need to sell them the right car. Yeah, that's it. It's like, dude, what do you want this car for? Like, what are are you looking for in a really great car? That's it. You know, know, show them the thing that fits his name. And it was the same as fitness. It's just like, in the world I grew up in, when somebody walked into the showroom, like literally, this is no shit. We had three minutes because Honda used to wear like these cameras and record like how salespeople would operate on the sales floor. And we had genuinely three minutes in which to introduce yourself, uh, introduce yourself to the customer, um, qualify them, show them the product, you know, the steps that you went through. Three minutes to initiate that. And if it took longer than three minutes, your score would drop down. And if your score dropped down, you lost your fucking job. And they were recording the whole thing. And every quarter they would come in. It was called a mystery shopper. So I'm looking around in the gym and I'm going like, fuck, look at all these people. And no one's talking to them. Why do you think that was? That's the story you told me before. But why do you think, why do you think PTs have this? Like if they're so, so like most PTs in their business because they want to help people. It's like they have discovered, oh, this training helped me. I can help other people. So if they want to help so many people, what do you think the mental block is that prevents so many PTs from achieving the, the goal without getting a full book of clients? Falls into two places. There's, there's only two things that could hold a personal trainer back from approaching someone. One, and this is the biggest one, he simply does not have the balls. He does not have the testicular fortitude. Listen, I get it. We got into the fitness industry because we were passionate about helping people. That's why I got it. I was passionate about helping people. But the thing that was different about me is I spent like 20 years of my fucking life walking up to dudes and going, hey, what about you? Look, I see you're looking at the Honda Civic, but listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just give you this brochure because I know you're looking, right? And I've also put a price list in there and you're looking at the Civic. That's the car you're looking at there. What I'll do is I'll leave you to have a look. And if you have any questions, you know, I'll be over at my desk and just give me a shout. As you were turning around and walking away, it would be, actually, hold on a second. Yep, and you were in, right? I, I spent my days learning from hearing no fuck off a hundred times. I learned how to take rejection, just like walking up to a bird in a club and going, hey, can I buy you drinks? Goes, no, it takes balls to do that. But, you know, I mean, you've got to start somewhere. So it's balls. And I suppose people can fear what if, and they make up with all these fucking stories in their minds, he's going to tell me to fuck off, he's going to say you're an asshole, he's going to... and, and those stories become like a chain of false beliefs that just weigh you down, and because the movie you've built up in your head is one in which your status drops and you look like an asshole, you don't want to take any action. So that's the balls thing. So you need somebody to help you gain the testicular fortitude or take that initial first step, knowing that it could all go wrong and saying, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway, right? And then the other thing could be knowledge. Like the script that I just said there, you could tell I've done that a bazillion times, right? So maybe they just don't know what to say or they don't know how to initiate a conversation. Maybe they have the balls, but they stumble over their words. So it's going to come down to balls. Just, I, I, I fuck, that's going to be scary. And then if they get over the fear, it's like, well, what the fuck do you actually say? And that comes down to knowledge. So it's knowledge or balls. That, that's the only two things it can be. And I suppose that's where I can help trainers because having 
not only learn how to do this myself and being taught by the best salespeople on the fucking planet, I've taught salespeople how to do it in cars and I've taught personal trainers how to do it in person and gym owners and so on and so forth and big chain gyms, commercial gyms, everybody you could, you could think of mentioning. Well, let me take it back a wee bit because you were, t- we were talking about, um, and, so, and we're going to tie into this, you were talking about, we were talking about you um, losing everything. Yeah. Going go the lowest. <clears throat> What was your mindset? Because a lot of people, a lot of, like anyone who knows you in the fitness industry, you and Jay would be well known for just because you've got done so much for personal trainers. And I would say a lot of personal trainers would put you on pedestals of, you know, like, look at the earnings they're making. This is where I want to be. I want to get that six figure income and all this stuff. But the reality is you weren't there. You were, you were at one point, you were where they are right now. With yeah. no clue what to do. Well, you had a bit of what you had more clue what they do, but in the sense of sales, but you had no idea about the industry, you didn't know how it operated, and you were going to the virgin territory. And you said you as you said, you were pregnant, you were this was pregnant at this time. Yeah. So what was the pressure like for you then? Pretty it was pretty fucking crazy, to tell you the truth. It was mad and to make it even worse, um, my dad had been diagnosed with cancer earlier and he was going through his last year of life while all this shit's getting on. So, uh, like, I was only qualified fucking three or four months and all this shit's going on. It, it, it was crazy, but it, for me, it was just a big adventure. I, I was really interested in how it would all go. And, and like I said, as soon as I set foot in the gym, the two things matched up for me and I realized, fuck, this is going to be awesome. And, and I started, like you said, I started, even though what I knew and all that, I still had a start at the start. I started with one fucking client and nowhere to train them. And I went to this dude, I happened to kind of know. Nal Green was like, remember Big Nal? He was like, you, you should go and speak to this guy, Paul Murray. I know. I says, really? What's he doing? Oh, he owns this MMA gym, but he rent this facility. If you, I was like, fucking brilliant. So I went up your place to meet you. And because of phone, Jenna says, yeah, yeah. Do you rent out your facility? And you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You come, come and see me, the gym and all. And then I opened the car door and it's fucking massive pit bull started running at me. I <laughs> <laughs> was Leon, he's a staffing. <laughs> yeah, I was his staff. I was like, fucking hell. And then and then you you got out this big tattoo, but I was like, oh, I'm gonna get my fucking bollocks knocked in here. What the fuck, man, in here? But I mean, was, the dog was cool as fuck. You were cool, and I was like, this is daddy. So I went in and you were like, show me around and all. And I'll never forget this because by the time you show me around the facility, and then you go, so listen, let's talk about rent now. How many clients have you got? And I was like, one. And you were like, what? You've won that? I was like, yeah. And you were like, fuck's sake. Listen, just train her for free. And I was like, what? What? And you were like, yeah, listen, fucking come back to me when you just listen. When is she training? Yeah, listen, you'll be grand. Come on up. Yeah, just train your client for free. And I was like, what the fuck? Is everybody in the industry sound like this? That's something I think I've always done with people. I hate this, I hate this culture of, you know, it's all about me, me, me. If you're in a position, to help someone get that one foot up and it's not going to cost you anything and it's a difference between you maybe getting 10 quid or not getting 10 quid or whatever just, just help the person I think that's if the world was more like that the world would be a better place fucking right i mean actually i've written about this many many times in emails and, talk, and that's exactly what i say i say like if there's something you could do to help one person today fucking do it like because and, and we've talked about this as well, where, you know, you helped me with that one client and let me train another. When I did not have a pot to piss in, like nothing. Like literally, like I was living in somebody else's house. I didn't know where to live. Like, and, uh, somebody gave me a place to stay and I was there with, and, and we'd had a baby at this stage. So I'm there with a newborn baby, a fucking Vida, who was my wife, who I knew like six months, this girl from Lithuania. <laughs> I was like, what is this fucking mess? Like, what do you say? Like, don't worry, on the business field, I get this bird from Lithuania pregnant. I mean, it's just like, this is a fucking mess. Like, uh, but it, it, things started to go in the right direction. And I was like, fuck, you were saying, a senior, Lois helped me out. And people started to get me back. And the only thing that was driving me was like, I really believe that this is what I should be doing. If I can help other people, I'd be super fucking happy. I, I wasn't thinking about money at all. I was, I genuinely wasn't. I didn't give a fuck. I was just like, I want to do something where I feel like I'm making a difference and I have a purpose. And the only thing that kept coming back to me was fitness. And then everybody kept saying, Sean, you'd be a great person. I was like, can you actually make any money? And what I saw was, whoa, whoa. No one is fucking actually going and talking to anybody in the gym. Of course, it's fucking wide open. 
and it still is. It still fucking is. Do you still think it? Do you still think it's an untapped market? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, look, if you look at the statistics, Deloitte just did a study there where they were talking about like gym memberships in Ireland. Now, look, okay, COVID is a, a, a strange beast, okay? It's, 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 it's challenging us in different ways. And it's making us grow up, show up, and fucking, you know, wake up, grow up, show up is what it's making us do. But that aside, if we just take like memberships of gyms, this is Deloitte's figures, they saw that like less than 30% of people owned a gym membership in Ireland. Like, I don't care, I'm, I'm not a mathematician, right? But that leaves an awful lot of motherfuckers out there that don't have a gym membership, right? So do not tell me you can't get between 10 and 15 of those okay. as a personal trainer. And if you were, I don't care what you charge. If you had between 10 and 15 clients training the average, which is 2.4 times a week, that's between 15 and 30 sessions a week. Yeah. That's got to be a fucking good start. And so what gave you the idea for an academy? How did you go from personal trainer to actually owning an academy and training personal trainers? Well, look, I fell into my unique ability again. Look, okay, I can coach people, but if I was going to tell you I'm the best coach ever, you know I would be talking shit. I'm yeah, not. I'm I here. never... What? Because I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you can't bullshit me, right? <laughs> I knew enough to help people that I that I could help. And, and I'm fine with that. I, I, I never talked about, I don't put, put myself out there as like, I'm the best coach ever. And my split squads are better. I, that's nothing to, that's not my unique ability. My unique ability is in sales and marketing. That's, that's where I'm best and driving business, right? And what happened was over the period of time that I started working in Peak Musique, and I, I told the story about when I first went in there and like a trainer was going to be like, nah, let's not get you in it. I just walked straight over and the first person I spoke to, bang, nailed him in the two sessions a week. And that guy's name was actually Paul as well. And he was my client for the entire time. And nobody remarked to me. And I always tell this and people always go, what? But as soon as I was shaking his hand, he said the same thing that the trainer told me. He says, that guy's name's Paul. There's no point speaking to him. He says, that guy's been training here for more than 10 years and he's never taken personal training from anyone ever. And I says, what's his name? And he says, Paul. I walked over and in a three minute conversation, closed him. In a twice a week personal training and as he's shaking my hand he says to me do you know i've been a member here 10 years you're the first personal trainer that's ever talked to me that's insane isn't it it's fucking mental and and, and again let's go back to that knowledge and balls I and mean, it's fuck it's wide open until somebody teaches care of those two things and, and i i thought to myself what if i was able to give this piece that knowledge and that balls to people who were better than me as coaches fuck me i would make a real difference and another person who noticed that was again, it was Lois because she kept bringing me up. Sean, how are you doing? How's your I was like, I've got uh, 40 sessions a week. What? I'm like, yeah, I've got 44 sessions a week. No, you don't. I'm like, no, 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 44 sessions a week. I'm burning my balls on myself. I don't know how much longer I can do this. <laughs> and she was like, that's fucking unheard of. This was within uh, four or five months. That's so she goes, Ian, Sean. come into my office. And I says, okay, I'm coming in your office. She came in and she says, look, I have an opportunity for you. How do you feel about moving to Dublin? I says, I don't give a fuck if there's an opportunity and it looks good to me. Because I've been all over this. I used to live in fucking Northampton, uh, Belfast. Then I went to Derry to build a business in Derry with a dealership up in Derry. And it was bottom of the shite pile performance. And in two years to turn it around, it went from bottom of the shite pile to number one in, in the area for, for car sales and uh, service. So it, it went from shit. So I'm good at driving businesses and getting things to the point. I'm good at new business development. She recognized that and she says, we want to open an academy in uh, Dublin and we think you're the guy for it. And I says, show me the accounts. And she says, I'm very glad you asked for that. And I says, I want to see the forecasts. I'm going to look at it. I was like, and she seen that I knew how to read balance sheets and shit. She was like, whoa, I fucking, you like, because I remember when I showed her my CV, she was like, this is bullshit, isn't it? I went, no, that's my fucking CV. And she's like, come on. I was like, no, that's actually the CV. And as opposed that day, she was like, fuck, no, I, I think we're making a right choice here, Sean. How would you feel about a move to Dublin? You know, and I said, 100%. I mean, if the opportunity makes sense. And there was a unique, there was a very distinctive USP that got me over the line. At the time, she says to me, Ireland, Southern Ireland are not on reps. They don't have reps education. We have reps education. We're going to give it to you. 
You're, and I was like, sorry, are you telling me I have a fucking competitive advantage over every conceivable option, including doing fuck all in Dublin? Yes, we're going to give it to you. I was like, I'm in. Let's go. And that was it. I was enough to give me over the line. I didn't even know Dublin. I, I came down here and got lost. Every fucking time I came down here, I was getting, I couldn't work out the road. Fucking hell. There was no sat nav. I was just a fucking man, but I was looking for places to rent and all. I had no clue. No clue. All I knew was I had an opportunity and a unique sell proposition and a competitive advantage over, the, over everyone else. <clears throat> and I would do anything in my power to fucking sell. And I would fuck, if I had to, I would market and sell and shoot at the course until I could get somebody better for each position. And that's what it did. I, I, I just did that. And it, it involved, it took a year and, and to come around. So I was training in peak physique for a year and a half, something like that. So a year from that date, you know, we moved down here and opened the academy. Actually, one month after I buried my dad, I signed the lease in Dublin and slept on the floor of the gym. Like, literally, it wasn't even nice. I've, I've been there myself. Yeah, shit in it. I think that's, see, but personally, like, I, you know, my, my history, like, this business reason here caused, caused me my life a couple of times with the stress I put myself under. But I don't think I'd ever change it for the world because those experiences have helped me become a more uh, unique, shall we say, coach in the sense that I don't, I, I find a lot of the, a lot of the industry is full of sound bites. You know, these regurgitated words that sound great, but there's yeah. not very much personal experience taken into it. Whereas I've got a new, an approach where my life experiences have enabled me to apply those actual learned lessons to other people and I can empathize with them a lot easier. And I'm yeah. sure you're similar, you know, and you've, you've got that mental fortitude where you, even when the shit's hit your fan and you're down in the dumps, you know you can still manage to get something going. Yeah, you can still weather the fucking storm. You know, uh, I agree with what you said there 100%. Sometimes, though, I think it can harden an individual to the point where you just can't stand, you know, weak little pussies sometimes. Just like, do you know, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I... I, I see people and like, you know, you show them an opportunity and it's like, what, how long is that going to take? And you're like, what, what, fuck, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you, you only qualified, you want, what, you want to make a hundred grand your first year, like, you, or you want somebody to pay you 50 grand because you're, it's, it's just like, it's almost as if they feel that they should be compared to somebody's 10 years. Like, it's, it's taking fucking a decade. And I don't know, there's probably going to be some people listening to this podcast never fucking heard of me and that's cool. But don't, and this is this has happened before in the past. It's like overnight success, Sean McGarry. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I slept on the floor of the gym for a fucking year. No cunt knew about me. You know, <laughs> I was marketing and selling for full course. It took two years before anybody, we were making any kind of difference. Five years, you know, now we're 12 years, 13 years doing this now. So, like, I am where I am on, on the team because of not just me, the team. You know, I didn't do this alone. I could never have gotten to where I am now. And I, I would never want to accept all of, oh, that was on me. No fucking way. I, like, I have the best team in Ireland around me here, Jason Kane, who's easily up there with the best coaches in Ireland, without a doubt. He's a fucking fantastic marketer and salesperson too. he call you on your bullshit. We've got Sean Redmond. We've got Ian Mulphy. You know, we've got Shane. The team are fucking, they're, they're brilliant. And all of those guys have been through the academy. Every single one has come through here. And they've been out in the industry and they've been trainers and they know what the real world's like. And, and they are the right person to talk and deliver information to the students coming through. But I hate this sense of entitlement that some people have where it's like, as soon as it gets tough, they quit. It's like, you know, failure is there to give you reasons to change your time. Not reasons to quit. It's to challenge you and get you to fucking step up to the plate. That's what failure is. It's not giving you reasons to quit. Do you think, though, that's the culture of today? It's like the Insta culture. And yeah. the kids the kids of today, and I, I don't want to derogatory kids, but I'm, I'm 43 now, so I'm seeing 20-year-olds coming in, they are kids to me. But uh, do you not think that they haven't been exposed to real-life struggle? And all they've done is seen a fake life on Instagram. And the, the, so their perception of the world is, I'm going to get a Ferrari, a six-figure business in six months. I'm going to go online and have a, a, a cocktail in Bali with my, my MacBook Pro on the beach, coaching people. And then when they hit the first obstacle, they quit. They, they, it's too much for them. They can't handle it because they've never been exposed to more, like, progressively harder 
trials and tribulations that I tell, tell people like the book, The Obstacles Away is the best tale I've ever heard because the obstacle is the way. Every time you yes. see an obstacle, it's there to teach you something. And if, if you run away from it, how are you ever going to learn? You might fail. And I think, I think the culture today, um, again, social media, people are scared to fail because it's exposed to everyone and then they're worried about what everyone's going to think or is it going to make them look bad? So they, they fear failure not realizing that through the failures they're gonna they're gonna learn like i'm on to my third gym fourth gym you know i can't remember but every one i've built it's been like i've, I've applied lessons from the feelings from the one with previous that's helped me expand the next one so uh, do you think yourself do you how do you teach your clients so you're you're, you're they actually embrace the struggle I, exactly what you just said is a, a better way of explaining what i was trying to say that, that, that's that, that's exactly it and I don't want this to come across and I know you don't mean this either like we're going oh the fucking kids of the day just don't know what it was like in my fucking day you know not not <laughs> <laughs> we're our dads now <laughs> but I think I can, I, they can be forgiven for feeling that way and I don't think it's their fault because look if you look at Instagram like you said it's social media everything is a fucking highlight reel you're seeing like the top fucking bits it's like a trailer of a movie. They left out all the shit born bits on the bits where they failed and they fucked up. Because, and, and, and then if you're comparing, and that's what we do when we look at Instagram, look how fucking cool his shit is. Oh fuck, he's launching that. Oh fuck me, he's gonna, fucking hell. I mean, no wonder you would be ashamed to try because if you feel like you said, it's all over social media because with, with social, if you're using social media to launch, to launch a thing, Fucker, it is you launched the thing. But look, see a week from now, I'll not fucking remember you launched the thing, whether it failed or whether it succeeded. You need to just give it. fuck it, fuck what other people will think. That, that, those are the four most disempowering words I think in the human language. What will other? Put an ass that. What will people think? There you go. What will people think? Four words. So <laughs> isn't it? I mean. It, I'll tell you what, I'm not immune to it. I'm not immune to that. I don't think anybody's immune to that. I and anybody that does. It, it, the, the, what life, I think people have an idea in their head that they will get to a point where they don't care. Now, when I say I do, <coughs> people think, I probably most of the most part I don't, but I do think about what other people think about me. You can't help well, sure. You can't, you're, but I, I use it more as a, as a way to try to better myself. Do you know, I, I don't use it now as a way to put myself down or where I think to myself, was I a dick there? Was, it, was, I, was I in line or was I, was I in keeping with what my beliefs are? Did I offend someone? Yeah, but did they need to be offended? Yeah, they did. Or no, I was a dick and I'll go and apologize. And because I know, like I'm a polarizer, you all know what I'm like. And I just speak my mind and I don't care what anyone thinks about it until maybe I've said it. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'll go and apologize to that person. But um, I've lost my train of thought there, <laughs> but uh, but I think that comes from experience. I think that comes from experience. You can't yeah. just you just can't become a PT or any business and just become an expert. But Instagram and Facebook makes you feel that you have to be an expert. Instantly. Yeah, like and, and, and there's another thing I think is is bullshit too. It's like fake it till you make it. Do you know what? If like if you're faking shit, thinking like somewhere along the line you're gonna fake it until like you've actually gained the knowledge and the experience it's like no no no. if you have to fake it what is it you're faking and that obstacle is the fucking way <laughs> it's like and then you won't have to fake it and then if you don't have to fake it how certain would you be and what you're giving out rather than trying to live a lie and thinking that like two wrongs make a right no it don't they don't so just fake it till you make it fucking bullshit and then somebody else changes the role fake it till you become it it's like no 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 if you're, you can't fake your way to success, you can feel your way to success. Try, as you said, reflect, and then think to yourself, what worked, what didn't? If I were going to do that again, what would I do? And, and that's how you, you move forward. Like, look, we used to do things in the past that we no longer do anymore in late. We used to do things in the past that we no longer do anymore in our gym. We do things now, or we did things in the past in the mastermind and ascension that we no longer do. Why? Because... You have to put stuff out there, test it, and see is it working. And if it is working, then turn it into a process, which becomes a system that you can scale. And some people are missing those steps 
they want to have the finished thing now. They're comparing their day one to someone else's year 10 and thinking it's easy. Like, uh, for instance, that a, a lot of people ask us sports, like, look at such and such. They have, you know, put out this program for 97 euro and they sold a thousand of them. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, cool. So I want to do that. It's like, so you think that you're going to put out a 97 thing and sell a thousand of them tomorrow. That person has been doing that for 10 fucking years. And by the way, that is one tactic out of a massive ecosystem of an entire business model, which has taken testing, process, system, scale over and over and over again to get to the point where it is absolutely systematic. And you want to skip that because you've seen it yesterday on Facebook or Instagram. And you're like, that looks easy. You know, fucking hell. And, and, and it's the reductionist nature of a human being to go, Look, all they did was that. It's like, no, they fucking didn't. One, <laughs> they <laughs> had a message, a purpose, a cause, and a belief. They were the attractive character, and they went out and they promoted that message, cause, and belief until they built a following to turn into a kind of a fucking cult or a tribe. And now that tribe is willing to buy everything that they... And that has went in and turned into a business. So I think a lot of people with the sort of what would you call it, instant gratification that social media and our lifestyle brings. Like, look, you can drive up and get McDonald's in fucking three seconds. And people apply that to everything and think, I want success, I want to, nah. They're not willing to put in the work and the testing and feeling in order for them to get what they believe, that what their perfect business should be, which could should be and would be different from everyone else's. If they did that, they would actually end up live in the kind of life that would bring them actual happiness, content, rather than trying to copy what somebody else did, because that never leads anywhere other than failure and then feeling like shit because it didn't work for you. Or then you hit go, that's different for them. It's, it's not, it's just like, you're starting from the wrong place. Don't try and take one piece of a puzzle and think that makes up a whole picture. And instead, try and figure out, well, what's, what's right for you? Like the question I ask myself, what the fuck would I do you know, if that opportunity wasn't there, I didn't say I didn't make the best of the opportunity, but is that really what I would want to do? What do I really want to do? Um, pursue that. Like, what is your actual purpose? What is your cause? What do you believe? And go out and promote that and get people who also believe what you believe. Because what you'll find is then you're dealing with people you want to work with, not those bollocks I talked about earlier. And you'll not be selling people just because of money. And you'll not be doing something just because you've seen somebody else do it and you think it worked. That always leads to unhappiness, I feel. And if, a, if people would just drop that and actually, and, and, and this is hard, ask themselves those deep questions, they would start to peel back the onion layer and actually find out what makes them tick. Um, when you do that, the way forward starts to become very, very clear. I think you it's... Think, do you find there's a lot of people jump into the PT bandwagon because they feel... It's an easy way to make money. Oh, it's going to cost 50 euro, 50 euro an hour. Happy days. I'm going to make 40 euro. They're all, they're already making calculations in their head. They've bought the Ferrari. And then they get to turn the realize. See, unless you have the actual passion, like I am passionate. I, you, loads of people say this. If you, if you were never get paid again, would you still do your job tomorrow? Well, I did do that for two solid years. Mm -hmm. I didn't get paid. Yep. Primal didn't pay me a penny. I had to go out and get my clients and provide me. I had to go bankrupt, sleep in the gym on the on the crash mat for a year solid, or sleep in my camper van. Because for me, the 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 bigger goal was always, you know, you have to go through the shit, you know, to get to that point. And that was for me. And I think unless you're you're willing and you're actually passionate about it, the chance of you succeeding is going to be so slim. And then again, you, you couple that with the culture of today, it puts a lot of people under pressure. And I, I don't know, what would you give it? What advice would you give to someone considering getting into the industry that haven't made the commitment yet, but they're just not sure? How do you, how would you tell them to find out? How would you or show them find out if it's for them or not? Well, I'll tell you how you know it's not. If, I mean, I'd say if your first motivation is the, the kind of people we discussed earlier, you think it's going to be easy, you know, you float around the gym all day in a tracksuit, drinking protein drinks, um, you, you, you know, there's a ton of money in it and anybody can make it. 
or all you need is an Instagram account and then cha-ching money. Or external validation, like I'm going to be a big coach, I can put PT at the end of my name on Facebook and all that stuff. I mean, if, if that's your only, only motivation, you're only doing it for the money or for some sort of external validation, like to be popular or you think it's cool and it's easy, you know, stop kidding yourself. Anybody that gets into something only focused on the outcome, in my experience, it never works out that well. Like you need to consider the possibility that if your only motivation for getting into something is the money that you think you can earn, then when you have to do the process required to get that outcome, you're going to find it's very different than what you imagined. That, that's what I find. Like, I think if you love the process, the outcome takes care of itself. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you actually want to be part of somebody's fitness journey, if like helping somebody incorporate fitness in their lives and all of the stuff required in order for you to do that really, really well, i.e. continuously learning and developing yourself so that you grow into the kind of coach you have the potential to be. If you love the idea of that and you love, like, every time you learn something about coaching, you realize, fuck, I actually know nothing. That Because that's what's happened to me. I thought you had a grip. I was like, Oh, I know a lot about coaching. Jesus, like, compared to last year, like I knew fucking nothing last year. And then you learn something else and you go, shit, I know nothing. If, if you love that and you love working with people and you're ready to start at the bottom and work your way up, the outcome will be because you're doing a great job and you're affecting a lot of people, the outcome could be the side effect from doing that really well is you could earn whatever money you need in order for you know money never to be a problem ever again yeah. so if i've explained that right i'm saying fall in love with the process and if you do the job really well knowing what you're getting yourself into you're going to start at the bottom where you know fuck all but if you work at it hard enough for long enough and you consistently show up and you're willing to put the work in required you will go into the coach you have the potential to be and by doing that you will be affecting a lot of people and by affecting a lot of people by giving enough people what they want in life, you'll get everything you want in life, to quote Zig Ziglar. And then the side effect of doing a good job could be money. Well then, tell you what, the ties in the next question I was going to ask was, uh, you've coached clearly thousands of people to become PTs. And all that, on all those people, what is the common denominator for the, like, that, that X factor that makes the ultimate coach? You know, you, you ever, like when I was fighting, I was coaching fighters, I'd, some kid would walk in and I'd be like, He's got it. Right. What, and what, what was that? It was just it was just that attitude. You could just see that they could pick up a movement like that. They could they they, they had the dedication, the heart, the soul. You know, when they when you had a session on, they were there. They were there every time. And you throw them, you show them a technique and they went away and they would be practicing, practicing, practicing. And three days later they'd be nailing it, you know. You just you could see these kids that would come in and you'd be like, this kid has got it. And I'm wondering, from your experience with coaching all the coaches, do you see a common thread or common theme from those who make it to be really good coaches? What do they all have? Yeah, I do. And it's pretty much exactly what you've just explained. It, it sounded like what you explained there was definiteness of perfect purpose. The person who wanted and showed up on the map with the intent is the person who always gleans the most from that. And therefore, when you're taking the most from it, you're able to apply that theoretical stuff into the practical application. So knowing why you're doing it in the first place, definiteness of purpose will always yield a much better result versus the person who's like, you know, that's just, you know, my dad paid for this. So uh, I'm going to become a personal trainer. Like, what are you going to do? Ah, I think we'll get a few clients. And well, the person who knows exactly why he's doing something and has a vision for the future, which is bigger than himself, is always the person who will never abandon what it is they want to do. People that set goals and all that kind of shit, loose and vague, you, you can always set these fucking pie-in-the-sky goals. You'll abandon them. You won't abandon vision, and vision comes from having a definiteness of purpose. You think, and you can see, you, um, you see like a lot of kids come in, or a lot of the trainees come in, just go, he's got it compared to others. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. You can because like the, 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 one of the biggest questions you can ask, whether this is in you know the elite coaching certification, whether this is a client who walks into your gym and is asking for help, or whether it's someone in their business, it's like, why are you here? And the person who can articulate, articulate clearly why they're there, and can you know articulate the vision for the future, like what it is they want to achieve, the one who can actually explain that vividly is the one who's going somewhere. Everyone else is just fucking bobbing along like a cork at sea. Yeah. You know, and, and that means you're going to get distracted by other things. You'll drift. And, and there's loads of things that distract people these days. If, if someone has a definiteness of purpose, a singularity of focus, you'll always get that done. The person who can't articulate that is the one who doesn't really know what they want. It's like, look, it doesn't matter if you, and we always say this instead of Ascension, you'll have heard it before. Look, you can have the best satellite navigation system of the world. If you can't input the destination, it can't fucking take you there. Mm. You know, it, it, the guy who walks into your gym and he says, I'm going to fucking do this. I'm going to turn up at UFC. Like, isn't that, isn't that what got all of us on to Conor McGregor? That yeah. definite, that definiteness of, I'm going to be in the UFC and I'll do, I'll do whatever the fuck it takes to get there. That's the person that gets where they're going. Yeah. Well, the last question I want to ask is, Sean, the future. What do you think? What do you think the future holds for the fitness industry? How do you see it evolving? How do you see? What do you see? What do you see the next generation of coaches need? They're going to need to have to succeed in, in this new society. That's a great question. Well, you've already highlighted something there. You, you mentioned coach, so I think um, there's a lot of people using the word coach and look it, it depends on how you would define a coach but what we would call coaching here in impact strength and performance and the, the direction we're moving in where we want to go and that where we're going is also feeding into what we deliver on the course so we would see that the evolution of training and it's always going to be in response to the environment it's it is all changing and i think clients are changing and what they expect so we're going to have to proactively or reactively respond to the needs of the new economy consumer. And, you know, whatever way we deliver the definition of what we deliver, it's going to have to change in the medium of delivery. Because, look, we've already talked about COVID and lockdowns and a lot of people reacted to that. Now, they could look back and go, shit, I reacted the wrong way. For instance, we had a guy who just joined the mastermind that you're a member of last year. And he was like, uh, I'm, I'm delivering Zoom classes and I'm doing like six sessions a day. And in fact, the reason he came in is because I was talking about like how that was, in my opinion, a load of bollocks. And like, I have much more that I feel like I can offer than dancing around a screen on Zoom. I'm not an exercise instructor. And he was like, you just, I don't want to be that. It's like, well, what do you want to be? I want to do this. Okay, well, if you want to do this, how are we going to, deliver that value in a way that makes sense for the kind of client you so we're having to look at these problems and find novel ways of solving the what the client values and what they want and how we're able to deliver that some things are going to be really easy to deliver like this like look we're doing a podcast here i can do this sitting in front of you it lends itself to it you know you can take this you can strip it the video if you're coaching well depending on what you determine as coaching you, can, you can't coach through fucking Zoom. It's hard. Matter. It's hard. I, then they, funny. It's, Zoom to me is a, it's a very good way of trying to keep some sort of community basis in the gym. Like Primal is a very yeah. communal, communal gym, right? We all know each other. And being able to interact with the members just to basically interact, just to talk to them and have fun yeah. at the end of class. To me, that keeps the essence of Primal going. And it's probably why I've only lost like two clients, the whole thing, because we've got this sort of community feel. But I'm pretty experienced coach. And be, I, I recognize myself as a, as a top coach. I struggle to get the people coaching properly. You know, see if I'm the take, like I'm trying to teach someone how to, how to correct their snatch and you're leaning back and you're like, oh, do this. It just doesn't, yeah. it's so hard. How do you see, how, how do you see overcoming that? Because the way I'm looking at the industry it's looking online and we're not looking like lockdowns there's no end of lockdown by the looks of things at the moment 
So we have the future forecast and start thinking, how do we adapt to this situation rather than let the situation overcome us? True. So how do you see us being able to coach people? Well, here's the thing. It depends on what you actually determine again or define as coaching. Because look, exercise delivery is one element of the five components of service delivery, right? So this is the thing. If you're actually in the service sector, there's five components. Exercise delivery in ours is only one of those five. Now, as you just quite rightly pointed out, if you're a high-level coach, you can't do high-level coaching through a fucking screen. Bar, keep your shoulders back, keep your back straight, drive your knees out. I mean, what the fuck else can you do? So thinking that we can deliver high-level coaching in this environment, you know, really all you're going to do is very low-level exercise delivery. Mm-hmm. And you, if you're trying to do that in a group, fucking forget about it. Unless it's yoga or whatever. But if we're actually trying to deliver individualized type stuff to it, that's where it breaks down. So we've got to think like, okay, well, as you quite rightly said, having the connection, which is another one of those five components, you can create connection here. You can create a bit of a community. So where are you placing all the value in what you do? If you're placing it all in the person-to-person thing, well, then you're fucked Mm -hmm. because that's gone. And your client then will not pay you to do Zoom things if that's not what they signed up for. Do you know what I mean? So what you've got is you've placed all, or we may have placed all the value in what we do in the actual, you come and meet me here and I'm going to coach you. If we place all the value there, the client also places all the value there. So when that's removed, it's like, ah, well, I'm not getting what I paid for. When you try and move that online, it's like, this is not what I signed up for. Like if I phone Domino's, I'm expecting pizza in 30 minutes warm in a box. If it came and he's like, yeah, just stick that in the oven. I go, fuck, you take that back. That's not what I signed up for. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're getting a client involved in placing the value here and experiencing this thing and paying what it's worth. And then going, yeah, yeah. See that thing that we said was really cool. Yeah, we're not going to do it. We're just going to do it to Zoom, right? No, that's not what I want. So it's kind of like this. What's the best way to get out of an arm bar? Don't get fucking in one in the first place, right? <laughs> Don't get a crime at me. <laughs> so it's like, well, the, the best way to get out of an arm bar is fucking don't put yourself into it. Don't be exposed to one in the first place. But if you're in one, uh, well, we're going to have to really fucking find a way out of this. And the way out is to start looking at, right, well, what are the other four components that I'm completely missing? If I placed all my value in exercise or coaching at a higher level and I can't actually deliver on it, well, what can I do? Without moving away from what I believe in, the worst thing I think we can do, and one of the, the, the and this is a, a, a realization that Darry came to, which was like, see what I'm doing? It's fucking worth more than that. I hate it. I'm burnt out. It's like, well, stop doing it. Oh, fuck. Well, how could it? It's like, well, let's look at some of the other opportunities out there. And when we looked at them, we went, here's what I definitely do want to do. Here's what I definitely don't want to do. Well, let's build a business around that. Can I do that? Yes, you can. And it's like, whoa that's the difficulty for us to let go of what we used to do like me letting go of the motor train and believing in the definite and having the de- definiteness of purpose over here and saying no this is what i believe in 100 do you believe in that yes then you will be able to sell it will it get people results that you believe yes do, do you want to do this would you be happy doing this these are the harder questions to answer rather than just go there's all these people online doing these zoom classes i'm going to do that too what we're doing there is fucking stupid. One, we're assuming it's working. Two, we're assuming it's profitable. 80% of the time, it's fucking not. It really isn't. And the other thing is some people in the fitness industry are running, they're running these as a hobby. They're a lifestyle business. They're not actually running them to make the amounts of profit that would allow somebody to go on holiday for three weeks or even pay a fucking mortgage. Some of these people are running this shit from their bedroom and they live in their mass house. And you have people copying this, thinking that they can make a business out of it. It's like, you need to stop yourself because you're going to get yourself in a fucking arm bar. And like, so if you want to run a business, well, you need to approach it like a business. And that means there is a lot of planning and you've got to be looking for these places where you're backed into a hole and avoid them because there's a lot of fucking arm bars out there. And especially if you copy these people, assuming because they've got a following, they're doing really well, or assuming that it's profitable. Because in 80% of the cases I've seen and help people out of, they're not. But on the face of it, they look like they're doing really well. And that's why 
I talked about, do you want to be popular earlier? Lots of people these days just want to be popular. Like if you're on your newsfeed, you'll see loads of people and you'll get loads of messages from, hey, do you want to grow your Instagram following? No, I have no fucking desire whatsoever to build my Instagram following. I think I have a whopping three, just under 3,000 followers. I'm only interested in building profit, not popularity, win popularity contests. The conversations you need to have and the things you want to weigh up between being popular and being profitable are totally different. And if you want to be profitable, then you need to approach it with a business-like mind. And that's very different and unique in, in my experience. There's very few people running their fitness thing like a business. Most people I've encountered think they have a fitness business, but actually, if they took three weeks off, all their clients would leave. If they uh, fucking broke their leg, all their clients would leave. So what they've got to come to the realization is that's not a business, it's a job. And it's a very uncertain job. And it's very unsecure. And if, a job. <clears throat> what's that? They have bought themselves a job. I know yeah, that. they have. <clears throat> they've got themselves in an armbar. Yeah, I've, I've experienced that myself. In fact, uh, we'll, we'll, tell, we'll leave it there, Sean. But one, before we go, I just want to say, um, do you want to tell anyone who wants to get in contact with you how they can get in contact with us? The easiest way to contact me is by email. <laughs> I love emails. Uh, <laughs> you know, look, <laughs> look, I have an Instagram account. Yeah, Sean McGarity. Really imaginative name. And uh, my email address is sean at elitefpa.ie. Maybe you'll stick it in underneath. And, uh, you know, if somebody does want to contact me, maybe they realize they've got themselves in one of those arm bars and they're looking for the way out. 100%, you know, give us a shout and we'll have a look at what's going on and what opportunities are there. Nine times out of 10, people are sitting, staring at an opportunity and they can't see it because you just can't see the way through the trees. And that's just was what I'm good at, good at helping people with. Sean, that was great, mate. Thank you very much. Even though it was we got through a technical difficulty there, hopefully I'll edit, I'll edit it so well that people won't realise this is like happening. <laughs> the second half's happening an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, buddy, I'll speak to you very soon and uh, I'll give you a shout soon. Got a few things for you anyway, so I'll, I'll talk later on. Excellent, Paul. Thanks a million for okay, having mate, us. Thank awesome. you, mate. See you soon.